welcome to one-on-one with ryan uh it's one of the first times i've been doing this in a long time and i'm doing this with someone who i've wanted to talk to for a long time on this sort of medium it's my dad hey dad hey ryan how are you i'm doing great so right now uh we're talking how far away are you right now because you're a little farther than normal yes i am now you don't have to go into side of the what's that you don't have to go into specific detail because i know your 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 job i'm in a uh a middle eastern country and working for the queen (laughs) that's good all right yeah so first of all how are you doing doing good still suffering a wee bit of jet lag um we were just talking about that tonight and with my roommate and uh basically it's uh one day per time zone to to recover so <laughs> so like i'm eight time zones away from you guys well from ottawa i'm eight time seven time zones away so it's going to take me the week before i feel 100 percent. ease so <laughs> So what, what, I've never been on a flight like that before. What what was it like? Well, we flew on a Royal Canadian Air Force A310. It's an old older jet. Um, but when we got on board, we were we were able to score the the Canadian Armed Forces first class section. Ah, the luxury seating. <laughs> the, the luxury suite. So there was like a uh, a couch and um, and big chairs and he had lots of leg room and everything so it wasn't too too bad but for some like usually I sleep on a plane quite well but this flight I just couldn't get comfortable at all and so kind of awake most of the flight so we left Trenton Ontario which is the home of eight wing which is the uh, logistics hub for the Canadian Armed Forces, and we flew to uh, Perswick, Scotland, where we, uh, uh, yeah, we picked up the new crew and uh, refueled. So between Trenton and Presswick, they gave us two meals, and then from Presswick to uh, Camp Canada in the Middle East, they gave us another two meals. So we were well fed, <laughs> hmm. yeah, but I never really got that much of, of sleep, so it was kind of tough. Okay, here, here's, here's actually a really good question, I think. Uh, between, because uh, you, you've been around the world a couple times uh, th- through various means, would you have rather have taken uh however long it would have took uh a boat ride all the way out out there or would you have rather taken the flight well if we could have done like a quarantine on a ship and uh and then just sailed to that area um we would have been clear by the time we got to where i was going in the middle east and I would have rather taken a, a ship. 
flying has turned into a real chore. It's not a lot of fun anymore. Ah, uh, okay. That's understandable. Yeah. Uh, so let, let's get into some nigri stuff. This is a question that's always funny uh, whenever I ask this to a family member. But this is going to be especially funny when I ask you, how did we hey. meet? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we almost met in the kitchen floor because uh, your aunt and uncle were over for a visit. And uh, you were a month away from due. And uh, Uncle Sean had told a joke or something. And we all laughed quite heartily. And then all of a sudden, your mother said, I think the water broke. <laughs> so we rushed into University of Saskatchewan Hospital, and uh, you were wanting you you were not staying in there. You were wanting to get the hell out. So I hit the eject switch. Yes. So basically, we got you got your mother into the hospital, and uh, you were there within minutes. Like it was less than an hour. Wow. And, yeah, I got this. Louise screaming blue kid and uh yeah it was quite fast <laughs> now now legend has it that uh there was uh, another lady in labor on the lawn of the uh the university no she um we were talking to to her and kim had said that uh Ryan wanted out really fast. I almost had him in the elevator. And she said, oh, I had my boy on the lawn. <laughs> it wasn't the same night, but it was, yeah. She didn't quite make it to the front door. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, I also hear you were in the unenviable position of uh, having to take care of your estranged daughter at that point. Uh, yeah, very young and very attached to mom. No, <laughs> as soon as mom got out of sight, Lindsay would play stranger danger with her father. <laughs> oh so. no! <laughs> so, um, so we were visiting you guys in the hospital, and then it was time for Lindsay and I to go. And things were good. I kind of distracted Lindsay as we crossed the skywalk from the hospital to the parkade, and just before we got in the car. Um, yeah, she realized where the hell's mom and who's this guy and I'm going to start freaking out. So basically I threw her into the car seat and she's screaming away and, uh, locked that down, shut the door. So as we're driving back to the house, there's Lindsay like the, <laughs> up against the, the windshield or the, uh, the, the window screaming bloody murder. As I'm driving, I'm just going, oh, my God, just please don't meet a cop. <laughs> and uh, we get home, and I uh, pull in the backyard, and I get the door open. I grab Lindsay, and I basically hold her screaming and just fighting and everything until she exhausts herself and falls asleep. <laughs> and she would do this to me all the time. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, uh, we were in the mall, and uh, uh, Kim said, yeah, I just got to go get something. I'll take Ryan. I said, okay, that's fine. And I knew what was going to happen as soon as we went around the corner. All of a sudden, Lindsay realizes mom's gone, and she starts screaming. So I'm just standing 
there holding her and just going, yeah, no, I'm not kidnapping this child. She is my child, but. <laughs> I swear. So I usually don't let Lindsay forget that she wanted to put her dad in jail, so. <laughs> she really tried from what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, for a few years. Well, it took about, uh, you were about four months old when this all finally ended. Okay, so not too long after. Not too, too long, no. <laughs> so I guess I, uh, since I was your second child, uh, what lessons did you learn from having Lindsay about three and a half years before that uh, helped you and uh, mom when you had me? Well, um, just that... Uh, uh, the feeding and everything, you're going to eat whatever we're going to give you. Like we were kind of careful with Lindsay, but with you, well, she could eat it. You can eat it too. So that wasn't bad. Um, the potty training though, on the other hand. Oh no. Yeah. Cause your sister basically trained herself. She didn't like the diaper. She didn't like the pee or the poo or anything in the diaper. So she got that business done pretty quick. So oh, that's easy. You, on the other hand, you adored the poo and the pee. Oh, no. <laughs> More the better. <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, you painted the walls down in our uh, new place in Saskatoon. It's your poo. Poo drawer. <laughs> and anyways, uh, uh, Kim was pulling her hair out about you, and she was at the playground with you guys. And uh, there's another lady there with her kids. And I think you were just over a year and a half or something like that. Because so, you were born in 96 and we moved yep. to uh, BC in 99. So you were uh, three years old. So you're about two, I guess. And you still weren't <laughs> anywhere close. And <laughs> the lady said to Kim, oh, God, boys don't even think about not living in their poo until they're three. <laughs> <laughs> uh i guess that's where the the term shit kid comes from yeah i guess so yeah <laughs> but poo's funny and and boys men just i don't know or it's we're messy we're messy yeah well and also like girls if they you know they can get infections and all sorts of stuff oh, and yeah. it's just more yeah, get the hell, get this done, and then I don't have to deal with that anymore. Mm -hmm. Us boys there, we're just, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it, it's the... the it's, our bathroom. It's, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a question I've always been fascinated about is, uh, I guess, keep keeping up with uh, this uh, series, uh, what was I like in those first few years? Like, between, like... Uh, when I first came into existence and about like five or six when that's a, that's about where I start remembering stuff. Okay. Well, it was funny. You were kind of, um, like we had that, um, uh, play thing where you would sit, it was a desk and you could sit in there, but for some reason you refused to like to sit up straight or whatever. You're always kind of like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no different from now my posture is terrible yes and that's you got to work on that too my boy that's i'm just now saying up better yes yeah so 
yeah, that was one thing that kind of stood out. But then once you started walking and everything, and I apologize for your shredded chin because that was all my fault. <laughs> no, uh, well, I mean, it adds character. It adds character. Yeah. Well, that was like three wipeouts on your on your bike, and when and you'd lead with your chin too. I don't know why you would do that, but you never put your hands down. Just went. <laughs> I never, I, you know, I never, I never learned how to fall properly. Yeah, I do, guess not. No, no. And all like um, forty thousand times I fall, I was like, yeah, I'll just eat the chin. Just eat. So, um, other than that. Just the usual getting into trouble. Um, when you learn to walk, yeah, it was, you know, it was the usual stuff. Like, <laughs> um, overall, you were a good kid. Like, uh, uh, you weren't colicky, and, uh, uh, but um, yeah, those first few years. Yeah, you pooped a lot. Yeah, eat and poo and sleep. That's that was a big thing. <laughs> so I get in comparison to Lindsay. Then, uh, what 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 were some outstanding differences, if there were any? Well, I, I go back to the potty training. That was just a battle with you. Um, and going to bed seemed to be a bit of a battle. Lindsay would put herself to bed. <laughs> <laughs> she's a strange child let's just let's just put it right <laughs> you you got the, the little angel uh yes at, yes at, like we, on the first go yeah the first go was the angel and then uh the uh the second one was the dose of reality <laughs> <laughs> the the one you should have gotten first but you know just a yeah. reminder <laughs> just a reminder okay um but uh yeah, and then uh, just your hair was. <laughs> There's that picture of you at Port Carlton where the wind and you looked like one of the troll babies. Oh my God. Up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, other than that, you know, you're a good kid. All right. Okay. <laughs> Oh, you know, I just wanted to know. I, I, I don't think I've really asked you a whole lot about these kind of, this kind of stuff. Uh, well, you have to remember, that's 24 years ago. That's starting to fade a little bit. In, in yes. my, uh, so, see, my that's, why, banks. that's why I'm asking you now so that when you're, yeah. so when I'm 40 and you're hopefully still around, uh, <laughs> that uh, I can remind you of these things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And uh, somebody's cleaning my diaper, right? Oh, God, no. I'd rather put you in the ground then. <laughs> please, please put me down. <laughs> I think that's what you would want at that point. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'd be done when I turn incontinent, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here, here's a good question. What is your favorite grown, your, your favorite moment Uh from when I was growing up. This could be all the way up till like hmm. now even. Okay. Uh, when you were playing, and this is going to sound so cliched, but uh, when you were playing football and you did, you did good, I was really proud of you. And even when 
you didn't do so good. I was still proud of you for trying. And in soccer, the same way you had a, I think you had a bit of a talent there in soccer. I know, right? I kind of wish I stuck with it. Yes. Well, and that's, I was so sad that you didn't at least try on the high school team at, uh, at uh, Winston, but you had other issues going on there too. So, yeah, Yeah. but it's, but uh, it's still not too late. Like you can still play rec soccer. Yep. And I've I've been looking into that, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, with so, all this COVID um, stuff, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Everything's kind of thrown into a loop right now, hasn't it? Um, but uh, well, when you uh, first got to school and, uh, and just progressed along, that was always good. Um, you and your pets. I always liked the way you, you hung out with the pets. Old Clifford put up with you, and uh, Meg and and uh, Coda, all the good guys. No, you it was all good. That day you helped me with uh, when Uncle Wally brought the cattle into Agribition there, and you were helping helping out there. That's always good. I just you know, you're an overall good kid. You're a good soul. You're a kind soul. No. I always appreciated that in you. Thanks, Dad. I, well, I had to learn from someone. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, I, you know, I'd be gallivanting all over the place. And I always kind of regret that I wasn't there all the time. But it is what it is. I picked a career that was kind of, that's what we do. Well, how about, how about we go into that, actually? What a... Uh... You graduated high school in what, 1979? Yes, 1979. And uh, didn't really know what I was going to do. Uh, did a bit of the oil rig stuff. Did a... That I didn't of, know. I didn't know you go. You went to the rigs. Yeah, I went to the rigs for... It only lasted six months. I got homesick for some stupid reason. but oh, uh, Of course. So I came back. Um, then went to the University of Manitoba, which wasn't a good idea because I didn't, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, wasn't ready for university or anything. So then I farmed with your uncle for six years. And uh, that's when the uh, interest rates shot up to like 20%. And uh, I had to make a decision, okay, to make this like life or do I do something else? And I. I just couldn't see myself being the operator that your Uncle Wally is. He was born for that job, and, and they're going to pull him out of there in a pine box. <laughs> but I, I uh, always had the Navy kind of in my back, of, back in my back pocket, and I. Uh, so I went back to university because I found out I had to have a degree to join. And so I went to Brandon University to get my Bachelor of Arts. And this time I was paying the full ride. So I buckled down and, and did my work and then joined the Navy and was, went to basic training in 1989. Wow. So there was a, just a whole 10-year 10 10 year period of your life where it was just kind of 
Weirdly, yeah, it feels a little familiar to mine. <laughs> yes, and and so don't feel that you're the only young man going through the doubt of what your life's going to be and everything. Because I didn't get my uh, collective poop together until I was like 26, 27. Okay, so some guys can get it all together by the time they're 22, 23, and other guys take a little bit longer. But the biggest thing is do not get uh, thinking that you're useless or anything because everyone has a purpose and everyone can take that step to, to being an independent, totally independent person. They just got to make a few tough choices and, and just work things out. Okay. So what drew you into the Navy as opposed to the Army and the Air Force? Uh, well, I, my eyesight sucked, so I couldn't uh, fly a plane. And the Army was, yeah, more dust, really. <laughs> and the Navy had the best-looking uniforms. <laughs> so early on, you saw how, just how sharp they looked, and you're just like, you know what? I can rock that. Yeah, I can rock that one better than the, better than the mud monkeys. And when I was at the recruiting center in Winnipeg, it was an armored officer was the, uh, the uh, person I was talking to. And he basically said, well, you can join the armored corps and drive tanks. And I said to him, hey, I've been driving tractors for 25 years. I don't need to learn how to drive a tractor. I want to drive a ship. <laughs> Because basically a tank is just a, a tractor with a gun on it. <laughs> that's, that's one way of putting it, I guess. I've yeah. never thought of it that way. And then when I was at Chilliwack, I had to do Army-style camping. And that just solidified that I made the right choice and joined in the Navy. <laughs> you, 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 you got to Chilliwack and you did all that. And you're just like, you know what? These guys are idiots. Why would they join yes. this? <laughs> Yeah, and I watched when I was in Trenton during during the quarantine, there was a whole bunch of army guys and they were in that 35 degree heat with the, the full pack, we call that the heavy order. And they're walking around in the circle and this heat and this. And then when you got to, to, um, to the Middle East, the heat is just oppressive. And they're in this, there's dust and dirt and and then we got the, uh, the critter brief from the uh, physician's assistant, which scared the hell out of me. Like there's scorpions and uh, camel spiders and rabid cats and uh, white foxes and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So do you believe that, because you grew up in probably one of the most insane times in human history, you, you, you got to live in that Cold War era of the world that was just, you know, someone could end the world in just, just a second. The world could end at any moment. Mm -hmm. Did that have any influence on your decision? Um, hmm. Not really. Like, we knew all about the, the nuclear options uh minot air force base was like an hour and a half drive away from us full of nuclear weapons and then grand forks more nuclear weapons like 
if if the Russians were going to do a first strike, we were we were dead in southern Manitoba because there, of course, missiles are going to fall short or miss their target or whatever. So yeah, which would probably be the best if you ever watched the movie. Um, 19, it was done in 1989 about an actual nuclear war, and it was oh my god, it was depressing and sad and everything. So you wouldn't want to survive a nuclear nuclear exchange. Mm. But but anyways, um, did the Cold War? I, it might have affected me a little bit in, in why I joined. Like I wanted to do something worthwhile, serve the country, and. Uh, I thought the Navy was the best way. Uh, when I got to our ships and finally realized how pathetically armed they were, that uh, yeah, we wouldn't have lasted 15 minutes in a naval battle in the, in the, in the North Atlantic. Like we, we had no anti-missile defense. We, it, was, it was so pathetic. We might've been able to have a helicopter drop a torpedo on a submarine but our ships were had no self-defense capabilities, no offensive capabilities. It was just really, really bad. <laughs> so when we finally got the new frigates, uh, thank God the Cold War was over. Because that was another thing. We, uh, the, the Berlin Wall fell while I was at basic training. So we went out on exercise and when we came back, everyone was talking about the Berlin Wall falling and the Soviet Empire imploding. So we all thought we were going to be out of work. Little did we know that we were going to get a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, the, just, the world just kept turning. Just kept, yeah, well, the, uh, the Cold War kept the lid on a lot of brewing nastiness, which then exploded in the Balkans the Middle East, Central Africa, Southeast, Southwest Asia, or Southeast Asia, that sort of stuff. Like it just uh, kept a lid on a lot of bad stuff that, uh, that all of a sudden blew up in our faces. That's actually kind of a fascinating point is that a lot of information that really you guys probably should have known was just all behind the Iron Curtain. You didn't you didn't even know a whole lot about that, right? No. Um, of course, we had our spy networks and all that sort of stuff, but that was all kept very high level. And uh, there's always a rumor that the Americans always inflated the uh, Russians' capabilities so they could get more money from Congress to build more weapons. <laughs> hmm. Uh Hmm. I wasn't expecting to talk about the military at this point. I was actually looking to keep going on just uh, growing up. Okay. But, uh, so well, we let's go back to growing up. Yeah. Let, <laughs> let, let's go back and then I'll go. Then, then we'll go back to to the military stuff. Okay. So, what was life like in rural Manitoba in the sixties and seventies? Oh, just growing up in that whole that whole time. Very uh, idyllic. Idyllic? Idyllic? Is that a, yeah, that's the proper word. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so there was like, okay, we had one channel for the longest time, and then, then CTV put up a tower. So we had two channels. Oh. Um, Saturday morning, if the atmospherics was right, we could get uh, 
uh, what was it, WD, yeah, uh, Devil's Lake Grand Forks, yeah, WDYZ, Devil's Lake Grand Forks. There's an ABC station out of, uh, out of uh, Bismarck <laughs> that, uh, or Devil's Lake, sorry, out of Devil's Lake that I could watch a bit of Saturday morning cartoon for about an hour before the, the sun came up and the atmospherics took everything out. <laughs> mm. um, but it, everything revolved around the farm. Um, you know, I remember when like we had the milk cows, we had uh, chickens, we had land hens. Um, we always had a couple of pigs that we had to take care of. So we'd have pork in the, in the winter time um uh, feeding like feeding the cattle the whole time uh you'd have a, a steer for 4-h you'd start off with a little calf for 4-h for peewee and then you get into the bait club um you play all the sports you baseball hockey uh football a bit of basketball we had a great intramural program out of our school so afternoons there was volleyball all sorts of other things um, we had no clue what was going on in our, in the adult world. <laughs> oh, of course. No. Uh, and very, very, very naive on what was going on in the world. Cause you wouldn't like, like today you hear about an abduction of a child in California or whatever, like yeah. within minutes of it happening. Well, you would never, ever know anything was going on in the world because you didn't get anything. You got the national news at uh, 10 o'clock at night with uh, Milton Nash and, uh, and that. So yeah, it was very idyllic. Uh, Sundays was church in the morning. And then uh, sometimes we would go up to Rivers, Manitoba to see all the mom's family. Uh, or, and then we'd have family reunions out at, uh, in the Red River Valley, uh, showing cattle. We'd do the show circuit. Uh, wintertime was bond spiels and hockey. And uh, there was enough kids that uh, we never had to travel more than 20 miles to play a hockey game. So there was teams in Minto, Boisevain, Deloraine, Killarney, uh, Dunray, Ninette, Cartwright. So we had a big league and there's all. Grade one and two. And by the time I got to grade 12, those uh, buses. Um, were is down to a short bus with hardly any kids in it at all like rural depopulation during that 12 years was massive i'd say we lost 75 percent of the people living on the farms wow in that time period yeah between 66 and 79 yeah it was massive so i guess going off of that uh your uh your hockey leagues like between uh that j just that southern pocket of Manitoba, uh, there must have been some wars. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. Boys of Ain and us would uh, 
would have some real battles. Deloraine, they had a run of teams of, uh, they would constantly feed the Brandon Wheat Kings with players every year. Like there'd be one or two kids from Deloraine growing up and uh, they would regularly wipe the floor with us. <laughs> it so, sucks so bad to get, go to Deloraine and get your ass kicked every time. <laughs> um, yeah, there was some real world Cartwright and uh, there were some big boys there. Well, we we're all like fucking uh, knuckle-headed farm boys, uh, tough as nails and smart like tractor. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was tough times. And, you know, our equipment was, I remember starting playing hockey and I had a pair of skates, knee pads, didn't have hockey pants and uh, had the, the shoulder pads and this old, if you look up Butch Goring, who played with I've, the LAK. I've seen his helmet. Yes, yeah, so I had that kind of a helmet which was like three little pieces of plastic put together. And every once in a while, the, the, the coach would throw you in, in goal. <laughs> These big horsehair pads that if you went down on your knees, it took you like half the period to get back up on your feet. Again. <laughs> <laughs> like everything was, was bulky and heavy, but um, you know, we didn't have a face. I never played with a face shield. Um, but we, uh, it was funny. We, uh, there are very few times you'd get a stick in the face or whatever because everyone kept their elbows down because uh, you just didn't want to get, because you knew if you two handed somebody in the face, you were going to get it back five times as bad. Yeah. So, and if you watch those old NHL games where most of the guys don't have helmets, you'll notice how it's pretty, it's very rough but they're very cognizant of no helmets being on. So they're not big elbows up in the face or anything like that. I'm and almost... Yeah, my equipment bag was a flower sack. It wasn't until I got to midget that I actually got a decent hockey bag. And uh... it was still pretty small. I look at these kids today and they got a freaking hockey bag about the size of a, of a king size bed. And they're lugging that bloody thing around. And, oh, it's just insanity. Anyways, the rantings of an old man. <laughs> uh, hmm. Uh-oh. Oh. Am I good? Because yeah, I, I, did, I, did, I did lose you for like a little second there. Uh, when you were talking about, uh, uh, I think I got you back at the short bus comment. But uh, yeah, no, I, I still got you and all that. All right. Yeah, okay. So good. Uh oh man, just trying to just going off of that, because because that's a that's a fascinating comment about just uh being more cognizant of where you are on the ice and stuff. Do you also think that there was like just in the back of your mind is like I I hope I don't like get my face busted up because uh, I got I got help on the farm. And if yeah. I, and I don't want to have to do that with like shoveling fucking cow shit with the uh, fucking wounds on my face. Yeah. Yes. Um, like you went in the boards under control 
and uh, uh, it was, you know, you 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 didn't want to slam into them because they didn't they didn't give, and uh, uh, yeah, so you you'd go into the boards to check a kid, and it wouldn't be to make the highlight film because there was no film or anything going on, <clears throat> but you would just ride the your opponent out and take the puck away from them. And there, there would be some big hits in the, in the middle of the ice. Kids got his head down or whatever, but you never did the smashing up in the face. You just put your shoulder down and hit him right in the middle of the chest with your shoulder. And that would stop him dead. <laughs> That's why they could say, uh, stick in the ice and head up, kid. <laughs> so, uh, you play a lot of hockey and stuff. Uh, what what got uh, what were, what are some of your uh, idols growing up uh, in hockey or football or uh, just just uh, athletes you admired and okay. even teams you cheered for? Uh, in uh, football, as a kid, well, when Warren Moon was playing, I liked the the Eskimos. And for some reason, I never became a Bombers fan. I like Calgary, uh, Jerry Keeling, and, and uh, uh, who's another? Oh, God, he was a, um, now I can't remember the names. But uh, yeah, Jerry Keeling was the quarterback. I hated every Eastern team. Like, Grey Cup was, the East was just horrible. So you would cheer for all the Western, uh, Western teams. And, um, and then in hockey, uh, Montreal, I couldn't stand them. And then Toronto, yeah, whatever. They were just losers. So I was big with the uh, Winnipeg Jets, Dale Howardchuk, uh, Babbage, Randy Carlisle. And then, of course, the Islanders with uh, Bossy and Potvan, um, Clark Gillies, Bobby Bourne, uh, Butch Goring, Billy, Billy Smith. That lunatic. <laughs> um, who else was? Uh, yeah, those are great guys. Baseball, uh, Gary Carter. Um, oh, Pete Rose, you know. Uh, didn't know that he was gambling or anything. Um, who was other players? Rod Carew. Um, oh, the pitcher from Chatham, Ontario. Ferguson Jenkins. Those guys, Rusty Staub from the Expos. I like the Expos. And yeah, I still haven't warmed up to the Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah, you've been very vocal about that. Yeah, goddamn Toronto. <laughs> you know, the Expos might be able to come back uh, with how up in the air the the, the Rays situation is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, yeah, those are my my idols growing up in the sports world. Um, I, I was kind of getting into politics at the time, like following politics. I knew that I hated the Trudeaus and all the liberals and the NDP. Uh, but I learned early on not to get too enamored with political leaders because they all, they all turn out to disappoint you because they you know, part of their job is to compromise. And uh, a 
lot of them would compromise a whole lot for what we would think is not not very good reasoning, but they thought it was a good reason. Mm. Um, we weren't as inundated with U.S., especially on the prairies, because they said our TV stations were, you couldn't get much. Uh, I know in southern Ontario and Quebec, they had better frequencies of getting uh, TV stations from across the line. So like today, you know, every day is, is a tsunami of info about America. Uh, back when I was your age, or even before that, when I was a teenager, you heard, you just heard the big speeches, uh, or Reagan or Carter or Nixon said something. Well, the Nixon Watergate hearings were shown on CBC. Oh, yeah, that was kind of a wake-up call. Yeah, but uh, we didn't get the State of the Union. We would just get a report on the State of the Union address. Like, we wouldn't get all that stuff that the 24-hour news cycle gives out now. Hmm. Good stuff. Um, here's a question I've always wanted to ask you, but I've, I've never asked you about this because I just don't know what your feelings are, but what was grandpa like? Grandpa was a very kind, measured man. Um, but when you screwed up, you know about it. I got called a doughhead a few times <laughs> and I was. <laughs> was an idiot <laughs> but uh you know he just a uh, well-respected man of the community um uh, 4-h leader uh, uh in the herford association and the agriculture society and he just loved us and and loved farming and and he was taken away from us too soon do you think he's proud of you? What's that? Do you think he's proud of you? I think so. I, uh, I'm pretty sure he was proud that if he was around that I joined the Navy and, and uh, uh, served my country and did as best as I could. I, uh, yeah, I think he'd be, he'd be very proud of me. He'd be proud of you too. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, what was your relationship like between you and all your siblings, actually? Well, it was pretty, like, uh, you know, as usual sibling stuff. Your Uncle Wally was a terror. He, <laughs> he did some awful things to his sister and I <laughs> as a kid. And uh, so once I got bigger than him, uh, then the fighting really started. <laughs> <laughs> we had some good fist fights and everything. It was freaking hilarious. That's another reason why I decided to leave the country, leave the, the area, because I knew I'd always be under his shadow. Mm. And uh, I would, yeah, it wasn't going to be a good uh, outcome. So that's why I left, and that's why our relationship improved immensely. And same with your with your Andy Barb. Uh, when she was going out with her, when she was in high school, she absolutely hated me, and she was so <laughs> thankful 
that she graduated before I got to grade nine, so she wouldn't have to see me in, in the high school. <laughs> Uh, on the bus, I'd always got a disapproving frown from her. <laughs> and I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but anyways, once again, she got married, moved away. I moved away and, and things are good. And the reason why I've cultivated, and the same with your uh, Uncle David, uh, even though he has his issues and everything. And we had, you know, that's the other thing too, is that autism, we had no idea what was going on with him. This is 1970s Southwest Manitoba. Yeah, no, no idea. No idea. So um, it was a wild relationship with, uh, with David. But um, due to your grandma Mary and her fights with her siblings, we worked very hard to not have those sorts of issues that, that breaks the family apart. And uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, the, uh, the sibling craziness uh, was your typical stuff. And then, uh, uh, then when dad passed on, we kind of worked together. But then I was going through a lot of, lot of issues after dad died. And uh, it was, that was manifested in drinking and fighting your Uncle Wally. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, leaving the area, joining the Navy, getting out of that, having new kids has uh, made things a lot better. Um, here, here's something to brighten the mood a little bit. How many vehicles, get, give me a rough estimate, how many vehicles did you and Uncle Wally go through? Well, your Uncle Wally went through... Usually his vehicle got smashed up, but it wasn't his fault. Um, but he went through, uh, it was actually only one that got totaled that he had to get a new one. And that was his girlfriend was driving and she fell asleep. He was sleeping and she fell asleep and she hit a ditch. Lucky the two of them weren't killed. Jeez. Um, rode off that truck. And then uh, other than that, so that wasn't too bad, but uh, yeah, for me, let's see, there was one, two, three, yeah, three trucks that I smashed up, like totaled, and, uh, and then cars just, you know, bought some shitty cars and drove them into the dirt. I was able to sell, I only got kind of hosed on one vehicle, but uh, yeah, and then I was involved in a few accidents, but I wasn't driving. I was just with somebody who was driving. So mm. yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I've been well, pretty okay so far. Yes. Yeah. You just had a couple little fender benders and you were nowhere near as wild as your dad was at that age. Yeah. <laughs> The the only time it may be a little bit concerning is if I put on Highway Star by Deep Purple and I'm on rings like, well now I am the king of the road. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or if I'm on the high on the uh not the newly constructed uh uh bypass, 
that uh, right now, because of RPS, they've put up this whole like speed initiative, and now everyone's like, okay, we gotta we gotta slow it down a little bit because these yeah, guys are they, uh, on us. Down that highway, pretty good. Yeah, they're snooping it out. They're just everywhere. They're on everyone right now. <laughs> wow, brand new road, big long straightaways. Oh yeah, like it is the perfect area. It's it's perfect area to just say, you know, time how fast you can go around the city. Yep. <laughs> I think I did it in averaging about 125k at uh about 25 minutes. So um you haven't been caught, have you? Nope. Never have gotten a speeding ticket. <laughs> I am you, so weirdly lucky on that. Now you jinxed yourself, yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, well, the only speeding tickets I've ever gotten were from uh, the cameras, and that was just going like a little bit above. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did slow down going into the, uh, whatchamacallit, the, the school zone, just Boop. Yeah, but it's all I've. I think I've only gotten like three total in my uh, driving career. Okay, <laughs> never been pulled over except for that one time. <laughs> one time where nothing happened. They thought I was drunk. And I was just like, oh. no, I was just an idiot and did leave. Let, uh, let my uh, windshield uh, defog. It's driving out of this like small little slit. Oh I- yeah, I remember you. You were telling uh, me that. Uh, I can I can kind of get it. I think I hit the curb once. <laughs> like, oh shit! <laughs> yeah, you should have just waited for the the fog to clear. Yeah, well, uh, I wanted to get home. It was cold that night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hmm. So, how about how? Actually, here's a really good question, and this is one that kind of spurred me to want to talk to you. So, between okay, I, I just need. Oh man, I should have wrote wrote this down because I had it phrased so well last night. Between how uh, Grandpa raised you and how you raised me, what is some values and lessons that you want to impart to me if I were to ever become a father? Okay. Um, kids will fuck up and you'll get really mad, but that's no reason to strike or anything like that. Yeah, a little whack in the ass. It's not going to hurt you, but um, try to swallow the anger, wonder, um, find out why. You did what you did and tell them about the error of their ways. Um, tell them uh, a lie never gets better with age or bad news never gets better with age. And a lie is a whole lot easier to keep straight than telling the truth. Um, treat everyone as if you're, they're your children. Like treat them with respect. Um, and they were they were kids as well, and they've just they may have been raised by bad parents, which might have caused them to have issues. But um, 
you still treat them with respect and and uh, and uh, make sure that uh, they know that you're not a person that they have to fear or despise or anything because of things you've said or done. Um, yeah, be kind to others. Uh, tell the truth. Um, look in the mirror. And if you have a, a big decision to make, uh, just kind of look in the mirror and say, would mom or grandma or dad be proud of my decision? And uh, yeah, usually doing the right thing is the tough thing, but uh, doing the wrong stuff will destroy your soul. And support the kids, whatever they want to do. Do not force them into, into and they will find their passion. And their passion may be, what the hell is that? But uh, <laughs> you cannot force a child into something they don't want to do. Good stuff. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so let, let's go back into the military a little bit. Uh, how hard of a decision is it to decide, you know, I'm going to leave, I'm going to basically leave behind everything I know to basically go into the great unknown. It was, you know, in retrospect, it was a big decision. I, the day that your uncle David and I drove out of the, out of the farmyard to go to the, to go to Winnipeg to the airport, I was, I was freaking, I was scared. I was apprehensive, but I was also so curious on what this, adventure was going to be like and it was okay i've i've made a choice and uh this is the path i've chosen and let's see how far it'll go and initially i i thought okay i'll do 10 years or something like that or five years or whatever or i think at the at the first it was okay i got to get through basic training like that was just make the goal and then the next level, the next level of training, next level of training. And uh, yeah, but when I left, when I, I, I distinctly driving out of the yard, uh, waved goodbye to Wally. And I think mom was there as well. She had came by to see me off and it was okay. I'm leaving this forever. And uh uh, as I said, I was apprehensive, but I was also at peace with myself too, that, okay, I've, I've uh, made this call and away I go. So the last person to see you as Don, uh, Don, the uh, son of Morley, uh, guy who's just from Killarney, Manitoba was uncle david yeah he dropped me off at the airport and i said okay dave thanks for the ride <laughs> and uh, we'll see you when i see you <laughs> there was no big hug or anything like david is like yeah didn't want or anything like that but uh no it, it was it was kind of clinical uh saying goodbye and uh he dropped me off and he said good luck don 
and I said, thank you very much, Dave. And we'll, we'll see you in, at Christmas because I knew that one way or another, I'd be back at, at Christmas time. And so after all that, and now you've had this career for how many years? Almost clo closing in on 30? No, I'm over. Or over 30? I'm over 30 now. It was, yeah, I'm on the 31st year now. Yeah, that went by really fast. <laughs> I mean, you've had, you've had a lot to do in that whole span of time. Like, yeah, the world, the, the world definitely went fast forward uh, with a lot of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, uh, just the changes. Oh, Christ, when I first got on my first ship, I, uh, there was no women on board. And then we got uh, one of the air debts had some, uh, had a woman on board. So uh, that was a change. And then, uh, then they got rid of smoking on board. Um, see uh, Y2K, uh, Haiti, East Timor, 9-11, Apollo, boarding teams, uh, the reserves. Uh, yeah, it's just been a, a, a wide ranging uh, breadth of experiences and a lot of fun and made a lot of lifelong friends. How valuable are those relationships you've made through the, through the Navy? I think they're pretty good. Um, you know, I can probably go to a lot of cities and have a beer with a, a guy in uh, uh, any one of these places. And, you know, we may have only crossed paths on an exercise or something like that, but we'll have stories and we'll know like there's like three degrees of separation in the military are pretty small. So, and especially when you're getting up in the, the older rank or higher ranks and, and you're older and all that sort of stuff, you pretty well know, everyone knows everyone else. So, and then there's the guys that went civvy, but I still keep in touch with them and everything. And, uh, um, yeah, they'll give the shirt off your back, off their back if you're in trouble and, I'll do the same for them if they need any sort of help. And yeah, those friendships, you know, you make them and, and you can keep them for a long time. Hmm. What was the, what was the first ship you got on? What was the first ship you were signed to? Okay. My very first ship that I sailed was uh, HMCS Capel. And she was a McKenzie class uh, destroyer. And she was part of four squadron, which was the training squadron out West. So uh, yeah, it was the first one I ever sailed. And uh, it was funny, we were sailing down the Strait of Juan de Fuca and there was three of us on the forecastle, uh, me, Craig Sharpen and Darren Reeves. Reeves was from Alberta, Sharpen was from Saskatchewan and I was from Manitoba. And there was this big swell coming in and we were on the forecastle just going up and down. We were having a hell of a good time and our, uh, our Newfoundlander who was down in the mess says, you fucking crazy prairie guys, this is nuts. Like he was sick. He was, <laughs> it was a different, uh, uh, different period that uh, he was 
making him sick and the three of us were having a hooch on the forecastle. And I never been seasick, which is kind of nice. So you were, you were just made to be on a ship. Yeah. Uh, did you know how to swim before uh, you joined the, joined the Navy or did you have to learn while you were out there? I still don't know how to swim. Really? Yeah, they don't, you don't need to know how to swim in the Navy. <laughs> You'll have a life jacket if you're doing stuff that you might fall in. And honestly, after reading about the USS Indianapolis and other wrecks in, in the tropics, I'd rather be dead right away than, than living and have some shark slowly eating you to death or going nuts because of the sun. I'd rather, yeah, if we sank in the North Atlantic, North Pacific, well, you'd be dead after uh, about 15 minutes of hypothermia. So mm -hmm. there's really no need to know how to swim. Yeah, because I, I, I need to clear this up because I know a lot of people uh, who specifically watched Pearl Harbor and they heard the, the sailors who were in the middle of uh, the bay and they, they were shouting, they can't swim. And they're like, what? No way. You're in the Navy. How can you not know how to swim? And I wanted to point out something is that a lot of, a lot of sailors, they come from the middle of the, uh, middle of the continent where yeah. the deepest water is maybe a lake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of us don't know how to swim. But if you do go to uh, the dive school or clearance divers, uh, well, they'll teach you to swim. But on top of it, you're wearing a wetsuit. And you got scuba gear and everything on, so you, they want you to sink. <laughs> um, and here, here's something uh, that's always been fascinating and why I absolutely love watching uh, specifically war movies with you is that you, uh, you have a lot of opinions and you have a good eye. <laughs> okay. So give me... Uh, the most accurate uh, naval uh, military movie. This could be like a movie kind of like Annapolis where it's mainly just what training and stuff versus something like a, like a Pearl Harbor, where they show a lot of the combat. Mm -hmm. um, probably the most accurate movie naval movie ever made was um, Cruel Sea with uh, Jack Hawkins. It was made in the fifties. And uh, yeah, that was probably the most accurate naval movie ever made. Uh, Army one for basic training. Well, they wouldn't make one of Canadian basic training because ours is pretty boring. We don't have screaming sergeants and stuff like that. Um, but uh, Full Metal Jacket on the basic training side. Yeah, they've taken every story, knowing the man and throwing it all into one, one platoon, but that's the way it is. Uh, Air Force, oh boy. Hmm. Oh, there was one, well, I guess it's a naval one, but it was naval aviation, uh, Bridges of Tokori. It was also during the, set in the Korean War. And uh, who was in there? Uh, William Holden and uh, was in that movie. It's pretty accurate on flight operations and, and that sort of stuff. Uh, Another one is All Quiet on the Western Front, the, the old one. The old one, yeah. Yeah, back in the 30s, yeah. 
that shows off the horrors pretty pretty good. They're getting getting better. I I think most British made war movies are more realistic and accurate than most American made ones. Because America, there's too much uh, Michael Bay explosions and a lot, shit like that. A lot of pomp and circumstance. Gotta you know, gotta drive those recruiting numbers up. Yeah. Now, here, here's the fun one. What are some of the most egregious ones? Just ones that really get the blood boiling. Oh, God. Battleship. <laughs> well, that one's aliens and shit. Yeah, yeah I know. That's just stupid. Yeah, yeah there's Battleship and uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, oh, there was both Passchendaele by Paul Gross was just stupid stupid and hyena road wasn't that much better either like oh god like canadians couldn't make a war movie to save their ass it's just brutal um there was another one oh <laughs> when i was at trenton it reminded me of the russell williams story the the Hallmark made a made for TV movie. Oh boy, Ryan! It was the fucking worst shit I've ever watched in my life. Uh, Lifeline to Victory was another piss poor one. Um, Iron Eagle. Iron oh Iron Eagle is so Iron like Eagle. terrible, but I kind of love watching it because of how bad it is. Oh, uh, Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I mean that that's a popcorn flick. That's a popcorn yeah. flick. Yeah, that's a popcorn flick. Blow off um, some steam oh, in it. Michael or um Charlie Sheen and Navy SEALs. Fuck <laughs> It's not it's not quite a uh Martin Sheen's uh, apocalypse now, ain't it? No, not quite apocalypse now. Apocalypse now was pretty good. There was some crazy shit in that as well. Uh, but I wasn't in Vietnam, so who knows? It could have got that nuts. But and even then, that was that was mostly saying what Cambodia. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, what would you say is your favorite one of all these kind of like war films? Just. Just one, it doesn't have to be like the most accurate one or anything like that. Just one that you could sit down and enjoy it. I can, I can watch The Cruel Sea again and again and again. Um, and then another one is The Guns at Batista. Batista, yeah. It was a very young Richard Attenborough and it was at the uh, end of the British Empire as they were turning over their African colonies to the locals. So that was a good one. And the, um, the latest one was done in Ireland and it was called the uh, Battle of Jadaville. Oh, I've heard about this. Yeah, about the Irish in uh, the Congo. That was, a re- that was one that was really done well. That, and you can put that down as a very accurate military movie, army movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so those are ones I could watch again and again. Uh, the Great Escape, I could watch. Um, 
And even though Steve McQueen rode in this the motorcycle thing, it was still kind of cool to watch him jump the fence, barbed wire fences. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then the Russians put out some really good, and they don't hold anything back when it comes to blood and gore. And, and even the Germans too, when they're doing their movies about their times in World War II, it's pretty, pretty bleak and pretty dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know you have a, a special eye for noticing flaws in military uniforms. You've mm-hmm. pointed this out on many occasions. So <laughs> what are some of those occasions that you've, you, you, you point out, wait, no, that's wrong. That's not supposed to be there. Or this is supposed to be how like this or that, that. Yeah. Like, um, the, uh, the combat infantry badge. If I see that on a sailor, I go, what? <laughs> uh, that's an army decoration. Um, yeah, there's, but there's websites you can go to of the stolen valor, these jackass guys that were never in the military or they were, but they've embellished themselves and everything. I'm going, why? You're just going to get caught. <laughs> but there's something mental in, in a lot of these guys that they got to show off. And they, they always go over the top. <laughs> they always get too much shit on their chest. And a regular person go, well, how do you get that? And you have that. Like, that, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, my real big problem, though, is, is with the Canadian military is, uh, you know, you get a free uniform and you get free tailoring and you buy a freaking uniforms too tight or too bulky. The pants are piled up at the bottom the sleeves are too long it just drives you freaking nuts like jesus christ have some pride in the uniform or you're wearing the combats and you've been sitting on your ass so long at ndhq the the ass is almost gone in the combat it's like jesus christ show some pride <laughs> it's just ah. <laughs> if you look good you feel good damn right yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. How did you and mom meet? Oh. <laughs> um, it was during, uh, I was at University of Man- uh, Brandon, and uh, Agex was on his big fall cattle show in Brandon. And I was helping out the, the Dukes from um, uh, Lanigan, Saskatchewan, Land, Land, Landbank, Saskatchewan. And I was helping them out. And uh, uh, your grandma and grandpa were there with a string of cattle. And after tie out, we were sitting around having a few drinks and, and your grandma, grandma Barb <laughs> got a little tight into the rum. She said, uh, oh, Don, you're a pretty good boy. My daughter's going out with an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Anyways, uh, I said, oh, really? Okay, well, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and anyways, she came walking in with uh, friends. There was uh, Pam and I think it was Bonnie with her. I think Bonnie was with her as well. And they come walking in the barns or whatever. And I, well, I saw her and I said, oh, that's a pretty good looking girl. And, and uh, so we got chatting and one thing led to another and uh, 
next thing you know, we're dating. And we had our ups and downs and ups and downs and all that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's how I met, I met your mom in the barn. How small town of you. <laughs> yes, very small town. Yeah, I probably ruined every relationship I had in, in around the Killarney region. So I had to look farther afield. You had to look <laughs> north of the uh, number one. Yeah. North of Brandon, yep. <laughs> so what, what were those early years like? And uh, did you always kind of have in mind what kind of family you wanted? Did you want that white picket fence or anything? Mm. Yeah, I, I, if I'm honest with myself, yes. You know, the nuclear family, have a house, uh, kids go to school, grow up, have their own kids, you know, be the daunting grandfather, all that sort of stuff. We'll see what that. Yeah, you guys still got lots of time left. Uh, we got plenty of time, but that that's something. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of my friends and a lot of people I talk to. They're like, "Oh fuck, I don't want kids." And I don't know. I've always kind of been kind of in the middle of like. I mean, I want. I might want kids in the future. I don't know. I think, but if I had a kid now, I would, or at least if I, if I fucking knock someone up, uh, I would much rather go through the process of an abortion because it's not fair. It's just not fair to a kid. And I, it's not fair to them. It's not fair to me to try and raise them when I don't even have a career yet or in, I've, I've got barely any money to my name. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you have to be cognizant of that, uh, that uh, bringing a child into the world when you're not ready is probably the worst thing you could do to another human being. Mm-hmm. Is that kids is then behind the eight ball and you're behind the eight ball and the mother's behind the eight ball and it's very, very, very hard to dig yourself out of that. And like I, I know I would have plenty of people supporting oh, yeah. us oh, yeah. and everything, but it's just, it's just so much. That you are cognizant of that. Uh, well, I'm responsible, and I can't just slough that off in somebody else. That's my job now is to raise this child and be the best parent as possible to. Mm-hmm. And I, I've talked to a few people of different walks of life who already have kids now. Uh, like my, my old coworker, Mike, and he had, he had a kid and he's, he's only like a few years older than me. And he had, he had his son very young and he, he loves his kid a lot, but he's going through the whole like process. Like, you know, he doesn't get to see him as much as he'd love to and all this and that, and just the genuine struggle, but just how hard he works. Uh, to provide for him while also yeah. still you know being a young being a young man you know you mm-hmm. still want to have that have a bit of a life you know yeah yeah so that's why it's like if I'm having a kid it, I, it better be when I have my career and a house and a car and everything every, everyone's ready to go and if my partner would also be you know ready for that if yeah. They have their life in the way they want, and because mm-hmm. it's their choice, and plus they're the ones doing most of the work. 
yes. uh, yeah. carrying that damn thing. Mm -hmm. That's something I do think about every now and then of just like, what would happen and yeah. What, yeah. What, what to do in that case. Oh, I know. So those are very important uh, life decisions that, you know, you just can't. So you take precautions. You make sure that uh, uh, an accident doesn't happen and uh, that you get yourself put together that in case an accident does happen, you're responsible and, and able to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not thinking about this because this is topics that come up a lot in Friday Night Lights, which I'm, uh, you know, rewatching while I okay. get ready for the move. Yes. Uh, tomorrow, right? Huh? That starts tomorrow or Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday the 15th. Um, hmm. So... Did you and mom have any plans for kids after me? Or like once I came out, I was like, all right, we're good. We, we got all we want. <laughs> yeah, we kind of discussed it. And uh, um, yeah, it just, we just decided, no, we'll just have the two. I think it was either going to have two or four. Not three. Odd numbers are bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we and uh, so we decided just to to stick at what at, at the the two of you. You guys are good enough. <laughs> yeah, I think we I think we uh, so filled the void. Yeah, it would have been cool to have like a younger sibling, but you know what? Yeah, it's fine. It works out. Yeah, yeah. What What are some of your favorite memories? Uh, just being a part of the whole family when we were all together. Yeah, um, when we were all together, when we went down to, to Disneyland and Disney World, you guys had so much fun down there. That was good. Um, moving around the countryside and, and just visiting all sorts of things. Um, seemed like the West Coast. We should have probably just stayed there, but anyways, life choices. Um, uh, Christmas with the uh, family and everything. That was always uh, an enjoyable time. Um, just watching you kids grow and develop into the unique kids that you are <laughs> was, was a joy to watch. And, and uh, I, I still wish that I would have been there for more, more good times, but um, just my career would take me away from, from uh, the family and all that. But you guys did a good job of keeping me informed. I think I, I uh, communicated quite a bit with you guys, at least I hope I did. And uh, that uh, you guys turned out pretty good. They're actually really good kids. Um, you know, I, I, as I say, I did enough shenanigans for two or three generations. And I'm really glad that you guys didn't follow my footsteps in that sort of, in that, uh, line of work <laughs> but uh yeah some of the happiest times so when we did our camping which usually turned into a, a nightmare uh, <laughs> so we had lots of fun <laughs> uh, 
And uh, it was, oh God, if we had one of those big mobile homes, that'd be so nice. <laughs> Probably would have yeah. been. But... That's not really camping. <laughs> no, it's only camping if it's uh, pouring down, the heavens have opened up, and we're in our little shitty burgundy tent <laughs> that yeah. is cursed. Water. <laughs> I, I, off topic, but I remember seeing this, uh, ad on, well, it was just someone sharing one of those, like now this videos on Twitter. And it was of like this tank that's built on a float and you can float down a river. Yeah. That just doesn't appeal to me. At all. That sounds it's like so the craziest thing. Like, why would you want that? There's what if you find some rapids, then you're going real fast and you're going to lose everything. That's uh, nuts. You're in a pond <laughs> and yeah, there's no floating down the river. That's just, that's going to end badly. You're going to get lost and everything. God, people are nuts. <laughs> So it is starting to get a little late for you. So I'm going to start wrapping this up for us. Okay. Sounds good. So is there anything you want to ask me? Any sort of questions you want to run by me before like throw it back to you? You're the host for a second. (laughs) Are you looking forward? Well, I'm I'm sure you're looking forward to this big move, getting out of that place. Um, What are your... Do you have a uh, post-COVID, what sort of goals you want to set for yourself? You know, I've never been personally that much of a goal person. I've never been one to like set a bunch of goals or anything. Whenever, Whenever in high school when they would try to make us set goals, it just never appealed to me. Uh, I was very much a more in the moment. I just, you know, day by day, I'll go along with the flow, but I don't know this week. Cause this is a big week for me that I really have started to think about that kind of stuff where I want to be in mm-hmm. when I'm 34, like 10 years from now. And like I'm 100% committed to going down this road uh, where probably by this time next year, uh, I will be, you know, gearing up for Saskatoon and going to school there for the, for six months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I want to probably within by like, you know, mid 2022, be working somewhere in, in uh, either radio or working uh, with, uh, with some sort of uh, sports team uh, being or some sort of news team, you know, being a part of a team and bringing sports news out to the world because place I'm going to they not only offer just radio stuff they're also like sideline reporters and uh yeah being like a being like a Rod Pedersen uh doing play-by-play so uh mm-hmm. I would love to be just working in a field where like you know I'm 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 kind of like a Sarah Olefsky 
or uh, or uh, Jean Lou, and uh, yeah. just working the sidelines, like or you know, I'm at like a Yorkton Terriers game, and I'm giving updates to uh, wherever uh, whoever calls the games or someone, and just mm-hmm. like oh, injury reports, uh, updates, and all sorts of stuff like that, or. Okay. Uh, because you kind of get like a, almost like a journalism diploma, uh, de- uh, not exactly a degree. You basically take classes in journalism. Uh, I'm thinking while I'm up there, I start a blog and just try and get in as much, uh, sports up in Saskatoon. I'm thinking maybe go down to Griffiths field and just write down what's happening during like a Huskies game or mm-hmm. just f- frequent U of S a lot and just take in what sports are there or give my own opinions on sports going on in the world and stuff. Go to some blades games, go to some yeah. rush games mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and just take all of that in and build up that kind of like a portfolio because mm-hmm. uh, I want to, re- I really want to try and get into uh uh, specifically bar down which is uh tsn's uh kind of like a young journalism team okay uh, it's their it's their group of guys who are like around my age or like mm-hmm. a younger or older uh who are really on the pulse of what i want to what i want to hear about and what i want to report on and be a part of in the sports community i think tsn accidentally stumbled into maybe something that can literally save them with bar down because they're like if you go on tsn's youtube page you will see the difference bar down makes because you have their normal reports of like oh here's uh something interview uh like a what Sidney Crosby or Claude Giroux or uh, Alex Ovechkin's like thoughts on uh, being housed in the same hotel or something for uh, this uh, angel restart. And it will have maybe about 3000, 5,000 views or something while those bar down videos, like their little quizzes on like uh, NHL stuff or whatever, Mm -hmm. they just started doing more NBA stuff they're closing in on millions of views on those videos. Oh, wow. Okay. They have figured something out. They, Mm -hmm. they figured something out and I love all the content bar down produces. I love their articles and their team are excellent people. And I want to get in on that. Okay. Well, there you go. What you got to do. And uh, yeah, you've, you continue on that path. You've also decided that you uh, want to get a little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably after this, I'm going to go for a walk. Not a run this time because that didn't work out yesterday. And I'm so glad to hear that you, you kind of know what you want to do. So now you're going to go towards that uh, goal. But I'm also very happy that you want to take care of your health too because – it won't be much do if you've got issues. Uh, and uh, yeah, you went for that run and it fucking near killed you, but you lived. 
and uh, now I, I wouldn't I'll say it nearly killed me. It just like, whew, I am. Uh, that it was a it was a wake up call of just yeah. like, Christ, I can't live like that. I can't live like this. No. So now be a bit smarter and start with walking and then walking faster and faster and then work up to run. You can't just, great. I've been living a bad lifestyle and now I'm just going to go start running. <laughs> it just doesn't yeah. Break. Your body's going, what the, what the, <laughs> what's going on with this guy? So no, just, just start walking and eating better and, and, uh, uh, you know, before you know it, you'll you'll start noticing a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there, there's a they're going back to the previous question. Uh, there's only one downside: is that, Dad, I'm gonna have to live in Toronto if I want to be a part of TSN. <sighs> yes, I know we got to make sacrifices. Yeah, you know, I'm so sorry. I have to live in the in the the capital of the universe. <laughs> Well, son, if you could eke out a uh, a niche in Montreal, I'd be very, I'd be okay with that too. I mean, Montreal's I'll, a much more, better city than Toronto. I mean, that's what I've heard. <laughs> yes, Montreal. A lot more fun, a lot more joie de vie. Toronto's just like Cleveland, except colder. <laughs> All right. So, any any questions you got left for me, or uh, shall we call it? I think I'm uh, I'm uh, questioned out. It's uh, time is it here? Oh, it's ten o'clock, ten thirty or something like that. So it's getting past my bedtime. All right. This was fantastic, son. Um, so when will you'll be going in post production and editing and all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. And what platform will it be on? Oh, this, uh, this podcast will be available on any podcatcher, any sort of podcast merchant you can find. Uh, please leave us a rating review. Uh, it really helps get us <laughs> out there. Thanks for doing this, Dad. This, uh, this, is, this is big for me because I need to get back into this. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I've been wondering what, uh, how things have been going on that front. So that's great. I was, this was a lot of fun. Next time I'm gonna bring water. Oh, I do have water right beside me because my <laughs> mouth is so dry right now. <laughs> that was nice. There we go. Sort of water. Some agua. Ab abiar. Pure drink. Abiar. Oh, better be. Better be pure. <laughs> I mean, you're not right that. Down. You're not that far from Mecca, so it should be some of the most holy water out there. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Dad. Uh, and yeah. thank you for listening. Uh, uh, catch you later. Okay. You're very welcome, son. And that was a blast. And say hi to your sister for me. I will. Have okay. a good one. You too. Bye-bye.